The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Friends, it's a new day and the resistance is rising. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. At long last, our new musical introduction and audio introduction, yes, those who know Skillet recognize the resistance. I'll tell you about that connection, tell you about the music. We were ready to launch January 3rd, not knowing that I would get COVID, that Kai and Chris, my producers, would get COVID, that a bunch of other staff members would get hit with other things. Some literally hit. I'll tell you about that more in a moment. We've had our new studio ready. Our guys have worked tirelessly to put this together. So at long last, here we are. New studio, new music, new audio introduction, new day on the line of fire. If you'd like to call and talk to me about anything under the sun, later in the show, I'll get to some calls, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. But today, primarily, I want to encourage you. I want to build your faith. I, I want to help you believe what I believe in terms of, of a holy faith and a holy optimism in the midst of a crazy world, in the midst of all types of satanic madness, I want to proclaim once again, Jesus is Lord, and the church of Jesus cannot be canceled, and the gates of hell cannot overcome it, and we in Jesus, by life or by death, are more than conquerors. I I want to talk to you today about why I remain convinced that we will see a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution, not a revolution of hatred, not anger, not rebellion, but rather overcoming evil with good, overcoming hatred with love, overcoming the works of darkness with the power of the Spirit. In fact, we are seeing many, many signs of that today. So I want to bear witness. I want to share some of my own story with you to encourage you. But first, a request. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, Put up a note. Let us know what you think of the new studio. For those watching, I'm wearing a blue shirt. They say, Dr. Brown, now that I think of it, I haven't seen you wearing a blue shirt on the radio show before. That's because we had a blue screen. And if I wore a blue shirt, you would see a head kind of hanging over nothing or my raised my hands as these hands appearing. That's why if the front of a book had a, a blue cover, I couldn't hold that up. So no blue screen, and I can wear blue shirts now. Isn't that wonderful? For those listening on radio, it's like, eh, it didn't really matter to me what color shirt you're wearing because I couldn't see you anyway. But let us know. Facebook, YouTube, tell us where you're watching and what you think of the studio. And let us know what you think of the new introductory music with Skillet, The Resistance. In fact, let me start there. And then I want to share some of my own testimony, some of the things I've seen the Lord do, and things that encourage me day by day in my walk with the Lord. I want to take you back to last week's March for Life, the tens of thousands of DC in DC, and, and for the first time, this this overwhelming optimism that this could be the last March for Life before Roe v. Wade is overturned. There, there was a fresh hope. 
want to talk to you about some strong leadership from Pastor John MacArthur setting an example and getting some flack for it and how we can stand together with him on biblical truth. But first, we'll start with the new music. Uh, I was not familiar with the Christian rock band Skillet, even though they're very, very well known and have had, I think, over 2 billion downloads on YouTube and platinum selling albums. But I remembered the name of the leader of Skillet, John Cooper, because when a, a Hillsong leader, a worship leader, uh, a couple of years ago, was it, it was Marty Sampson, I think, when he said he's publicly questioning his faith and there's no environment to really talk about these issues, I, I read this very strong response from this Christian rock band leader uh, of Skillet, John Cooper, saying, what do you mean there's no place to discuss these things? We've been discussing these issues for centuries. These are live issues and things we talk about and so on. I thought, well, I don't know this guy, but what a great response. What a strong answer. Well, last year, I get a, a direct message on Twitter from my dear friend, Dr. James White, and he said, hey, I want to connect you and John Cooper of Skillet. And that's why I said, oh, I think I remember the name from that article. He said, I just saw he's reading your book, Can You Be Gay and Christian? And I think it would be good for you to connect. Hey, James, that was the Holy Spirit leading you to do that. Okay, so... John and I connected, and I've sent him a bunch of my books, sent him to the band since then. Uh, he invited me to speak at a gathering. So his church leaders invited me to speak at a gathering of all their churches in what was around July. So I got to spend time with John and his wife, Corey, together. They drove through the night to be back with me one morning. Got to meet Jen, the drummer. I've interacted with Seth, the guitarist. So we, we've got to know each other. Uh, any new book I get, I'm sending their way and, and pouring into them. And I've so, been so blessed to, to see John's public stand preaching Jesus without compromise, uh, addressing the, the woke ideologies and the pop theologies with the truth of Scripture. So we've gotten to know each other pretty well now, interacting. And last year, I said to our team, hey, I think it's time we change our studio look. And they said, yeah, we've been thinking about it. So Kai and Chris... Then with help from, from Mark, our graphic artist, they, they envisioned what the studio would look like. And then Kai and Chris built this themselves, ordered every piece of material. So I'm, I'm blown away, I'm blown away by how everything looks. And if I do have a guest in studio, we, we can actually see that guest as we interact. So there's a lot we can do. And hopefully even in our overall presentation for everyone listening on the radio, you'll benefit. But others came and said, you know, we should also change our introductory music. I wanted to change the intro, which was somewhat outdated for a while. So we talked about it. And for years, a uh, former student of mine, Aaron Kreider, who's now a worship leader at, at Gateway Church in, in Texas, Aaron had written a song for one of our missions conferences called Shake the Nations. And it's a great mission song. And it's a great song about Jesus revolution. So that has been our theme song. And it's always going to be a song I love and promote and use. That was our theme song for years. And then my friend Lendl Cooley, who was the worship leader in the Brownsville Revival, uh, does a contemporary rendition of William Booth's famous song, Send the Fire, his, his hymn from the 1800s. So that was part of the musical interlude, you know, coming out of the show or coming back in. So we said, okay, let's, let's look for some new music. The problem is, uh, what do you pick? And the problem is, if it is from a well-known artist or group, how do you secure the rights to use it? Well, 
one day I hear the music of the resistance. Once I got to know John, I started to, to watch some of the YouTube videos, you know, uh, listen to some of their music. And that, that was one of the songs I really liked. Feel Invincible became my favorite. And then The Resistance was one I really liked and the passion of it and the, by life or by death, we're going to follow the Lord message in it. So I'm listening to it and I just hear it one day. Just, you know, in, in my mind, I hear it. And I thought, that's it. That'll work for an intro. So we had worked on a new text for the, the, the intro. We had one with a few more words, one with a few less words. So I come in one day. I, I, I play the song for, for a team. I said, we're going to start right here at this part. This is what I heard. And then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say the intro so you can hear it, right, instead of the announcer that will get to do it. So I did it. It didn't quite fit. I said, let me use the shorter version. When I use the shorter version, boom, it hit perfectly so that it, at the exact right moment, there it is. You know, this is how we rise up. And we looked at each other like, this is uncanny. This is a perfect fit. So it, it took uh, the help of, of, of John and his team, his management, to work with the record label for us to come to an agreement to use the song. So we're, we're thrilled that that's worked out. But, but to me, that was another little sign. And hearing daily, this is how we rise up, is another reminder. Just how hearing Aaron's song every day was another reminder that I truly believe that God has laid on my heart over these years that there will be pushback to the godless agenda, that a lot of the ground that was lost in the 60s through revival, through outpouring in the church, through aggressive evangelism, uh, holy evangelism, not fleshly, through making disciples, through living out the gospel, that a lot of that ground will be retaken. Now, it could be that things collapse totally before Jesus returns. It could be Jesus returns sooner than some of us expect. Or it could be, and this is what I'm contending for, believing for, praying for, that we will see another great national revival. Remember, revival only comes in times of spiritual declension. As Charles Finney said, revival presupposes declension. It presupposes the church is sunk down in the backslidden state, and revival consists in the return of the church from her backslidings and and in in the conversion of sinners so i i have been believing for this for many many years and i believe that god's put it in my heart to believe for this and just as years ago in 1989 when i wrote the end of the american gospel enterprise it was a call for repentance in the church of america with a promise of revival that would come if we would repent and and it was looking at church history in america and how Awakenings had impacted us over the generations. When I wrote the book, I, I, was, uh, I started writing it uh, when I was alone on a prayer retreat in, in 1989, summer of 1989, and really felt in my heart that Leonard Ravenhill would write the foreword to the book. Now, he was completely, uh, I was completely unknown to him. He was the famous author of, of Why Revival Tarries. He was a close friend of A.W. Tozer, he was one of the most prophetic in terms of bringing sharp wake-up messages to the church, writers of his generation. I had heard him speak once in, in 1983 when he was 76 years old, but I just knew that I knew that he would write the foreword to my book. And when providentially 
he proposed to write the forward to my book. It's an amazing story. Maybe I'll tell a bit more of it later. What excited me was not just that he was going to write the forward. What excited me was it was a confirmation to me that this revival, this outpouring would actually happen. In the same way, a lot of what's taking place in recent days and the fact that we're able to work together with Skillet every day on the show and proclaim, this is how we rise up. Yes, sir. The fact that we can do that is a further reminder to me that God is not done with America. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. That's the number to call, 866-348-7884. A lot I want to talk to you about today. I really want to encourage your faith and strengthen you in your own walk with God. We are here to help you. The healthier you are, the more Jesus gets glorified. The healthier you are, I'm talking spiritually, of course, first and foremost, the healthier you are, the more people you'll be able to touch and help. So as I can help strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and supply resources and and give answers to the tough questions, all the more can you go out and be ambassadors. So just as I receive and share, you receive and share. Be sure to go to my website, AskDrBrown.org, to check for my latest articles. There is a well-known and greatly loved Christian hip-hop artist and apologist, Brady Goodwin, known as Fanatic. I was not familiar with him myself, but again, influential, greatly loved, who has now put out a video renouncing his faith of 30 years. And we're planning to interact privately, but I think you'll benefit from my public response. You can read that. There's a new article that should be up on our site. Uh, or elsewhere online, COVID, fear, and demons. I think you'll find that interesting as well. If you'd like to call in with a question of any kind, 866-34-TRUTH. Okay, as, as I'm speaking, those watching, you'll get to see what the March for Life in D.C. looked like last week of tens of thousands gathering there in the frigid cold, as they've done for many years now since Roe v. Wade, the annual March for Life, and it's January 22nd every year in memory of Roe v. Wade. Uh, President Trump was the first sitting president to address the group, uh, uh, I guess by video. Vice President Pence himself spoke. Obviously, President Trump's appointees, whether you like him as a person or not, his Supreme Court appointees, very, very important. So uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and, and Coney Barrett. So these, uh, these appointees now have shifted the court to the point that there are many who believe that with the Dobbs case from, from Mississippi, that Roe v. Wade could be overturned. And that's the, not the end of abortion, but it is something major. It, it is 
another example of cultural pushback. Because you have to understand, when Roe v. Wade became law in 73, that was it. I mean, the matter settled. It's over. I was not, I did not have a pro-life consciousness at that point and was not really aware of the implications of what, of what had happened. But those who were in the movement then tell me there was tremendous discouragement and the pro-life movement largely fractured, uh, uh, broken up and, and, and not, not in a harmonious place, say, let's just move forward. I mean, it was a difficult time. And, and evangelical consciousness was way behind Catholic consciousness of the pro-life movement back then. So in, in any case, in any case, the fact that the pro-life movement has stayed strong, that it has gotten stronger, that public opinion has shifted in many ways, that, that many millennials are more pro-life than their parents or grandparents, this is, this is eye-opening. This is important. This is another example of, no, it, it, there's nowhere in the Bible where it just says, from when Jesus dies and, and rises from the dead until he returns, it only gets worse. That's how a lot of people live and think. Well, no, no, we're in the last generation. Are you sure? When I got saved over 50 years ago, we were told this is it. This is the end. Jesus is coming any minute. That's what we were told. Hal Lindsey's book, Late Great Planet Earth, that, that was the big seller back then. So, hey, you know, this is, this is it. I, I was talking to a colleague of mine who's, I guess, in his 70s now, and he got saved in the Jesus movement a little bit before I did. And we were talking the other day, did we ever think we'd be grandparents or on the verge of great prayer? No, of course not, because Jesus is going to come before that. But isn't the light already shining in the darkness? Isn't the New Testament mentality that in the midst of calamity, disaster, upheaval, shaking even divine judgments at the end of the age, that the kingdom of God continues to advance? Isn't it interesting that in terms of per capita, maybe at the end of the first century, missiologists have have estimated maybe one out of every 300-something people on the earth were believers. Today, if you just take those professing the Christian faith, it's more like one out of three. If you say, okay, maybe only a half of them or a quarter truly born again, still it's astounding growth. Why don't we emphasize more what God is doing than emphasize what Satan is doing and what people are doing? People are always going to be wicked. It does not surprise me when godless people do godless things. It's not to, to surprise me when, say, a, a secular and often godless industry like Hollywood and movies puts out bad stuff. It doesn't surprise me. That's what sinful, fallen human beings do. It doesn't surprise me when Satan does devilish things. What surprises me is when God's people seem to have more faith or more focus, I should say, on the evil around us rather than more focus on Jesus and who he is, and the power of the gospel to set captives free. No, I do not believe that the church is supposed to take over the world before Jesus returns. To me, that is dangerous and unbiblical. No, I do not believe that America will ever become a totally Christian nation, nor has it ever been a totally Christian nation. I don't believe there'll be a nation on the planet that is totally Christian before Jesus returns. But I do believe we can see great change come through the power of the gospel. I, I do believe we can see the kingdom extended in amazing ways, and just as there was going to be shifts in culture, right? It's never totally good. It's never totally bad. 
that I believe that we're in the midst of seeing a positive shift. Hey, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, let us know where, where you're watching from and how you like the look of our new studio. If you've caught the intro, tell us how you like the sound of our new intro. I've got a bunch more things to share, and I'm going to share some of my personal history. First, we will go to the phones, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's start with Andrew in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing well, thanks. First off, I'm really excited that you... I'm really excited about your new intro because I am a big fan of Skillet, so, and I love your show. So when I heard that you got the resistance by Skillet on, I just cheered on, out Come on. on the inside. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, and also on a bit of a serious, a few serious notes, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't attend the March for Life, and I feel very bad about it, especially because I, especially because I didn't tell my supervisor that I was intending to go, and I feel like I missed out on it big time, and even looking at it online makes me feel like I missed out on getting to know such great people and being a part of something good. Yeah, so here's here's what you do, Andrew. Don't beat yourself up, right? Don't don't walk around condemned and feel like there's a cloud hanging over your head. Instead, <clears throat> give yourself to prayer even more for the Supreme Court decisions, and then ask the Lord to help connect you. you what you can do is go to some of the websites, the Purple Sash Revolution, is a great place to go or the Facebook page and maybe repost things that they post or just share with others different things or, or look for opportunities to share with people from different viewpoints. So take that feeling of, man, I missed it. And I've done the same thing. Oh, I should have been there. Take it to burden you all the more to pray and then get involved. You still get involved. There's plenty of time. And the bad news, the reality is, even if Roe v. Wade is, is overturned, we, we deeply hope it will be, the pro-life battle is going to continue educating, opening people's hearts and minds. Different states can then pass different laws, but it's going to be massive if that happens. So may the Lord use you to be a blessing on the front lines of the pro-life movement. And you can do it first and foremost in prayer. But then check out Purple Sash Revolution. Um, there, there are others who are strong pro-life leaders like uh, Lila Rose on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, retweet these different things. So just take another step forward in holy activism. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Omar in Canada. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, um, Dr. Brown? Yes. Yes. Um, I... I, I admire your show and I, I, I love to, um, to watch your debate. But um, in regards to the topic you, you were talking about, um, the end times and so on, mm -hmm. so my question is Matthew 24, verse 14. Jesus addressed the end times, so when this gospel of the kingdom is preached into all the world as a testimony to our nation, then the end will come. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, that gospel is not being preached as forcefully as how I observe. And um, I think if we should, you know, preach it as how Jesus preached it. Yes, yeah, so, so just to jump in, only so I can answer before, before the break. Um, 
the gospel of the kingdom is another way of just saying the gospel. It's even connected with the gospel of grace in the book of Acts. And yes, we should preach it as Jesus preached it, that Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus came to bring us into right relationship with God so that we can be reconciled with God and be his ambassadors declaring a message of reconciliation. He never taught that we were to take over society. He never taught that. But as we are transformed, we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that is part of proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is Lord. Let us go in his name and make disciples. Hey, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. Those just tuning in, yes, new music from our friends, Skillet, John Cooper and I getting to interact regularly. Okay, so the deal is, the deal is that the way that we were able to secure the rights to use this music on the air was that I promised to tour with Skillet and play drums. No, I'm joking. I, I know some of you take me seriously on every line, which I'm glad, but I was just joking there. But it is on my bucket list one day to privately jam with the band and uh, play drums. Yeah, privately, obviously that can happen publicly. But, but any, anyway, uh, we're, we're blessed to be partnering together for the kingdom. And it is time for believers to rise up, not in anger, not in tear down this. Look, you go to my website, sdrbrown.org. You go to our social media feeds, sdrbrown on Facebook, uh, Dr. Michael L. Brown on Twitter, Dr. Michael Brown on Instagram, or sdrbrown on YouTube. Go to any of those. You will not find me constantly bashing and attacking this political leader or that political leader. You will not see angry memes of, of, you know, or mocking memes. No, no, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. Our, our goal is to lift up Jesus. Our goal is to strengthen and edify you. Our goal is to openly discuss the challenging, difficult issues of the day so that the church can rise up to be who God called us to be, overcomers in Jesus. First John 5, whatever is born of God, overcomes the world, and this is the victory by which we overcome the world, even our faith. So that's our goal. I, I take you back to Isaiah, the 10th chapter, a verse that's often quoted from the King James, that the anointing breaks the yoke. It, it, it's, it's based on, on a misreading of the Hebrew. Uh, the, the Hebrew is very concise and could be read different ways, but I agree with the vast majority of translators and commentaries that what it says is the yoke will be broken, not because of the anointing, but because of fatness. In other words, when, when you would speak in the Bible about the, the fattened calf or the cows of Bashan, which were fat, that, that meant they were healthy, they were thriving, they were strong. And what this is saying is that when the, the, the animal that has the yoke on it, the yoke of oppression, in this case of Assyria, when it gets so strong and healthy, boom, the yoke breaks. 
That's our goal, to see a healthy church unified around Jesus, shining like lights in dark places. We may die for it. We may end up in prison for it. Or we may see a cultural revolution. We may be like the abolitionists that, that saw dramatic change come and the end of slavery. We may be like the William Wilberforces of previous generations. The pro-life movement that's been so tenacious so many years really has that ability. And in the midst of all this, everything we do is Jesus-based. In other words, we're pro-life, and that means we care about the mothers. We care about the fathers. We care about the babies in the womb. We care about the babies outside of the womb. But, but let, me, let me encourage you, and then we'll go back to the phones. <clears throat> Many of you know I got saved in 71 in an Italian Pentecostal church. Those are my spiritual roots. The late 70s, early 80s, I really questioned a lot of those roots. I was pursuing my doctoral degree. And for me, I became intellectually, theologically proud. That was my experience. I became a Calvinist, which tied in with some of that intellectual, theological pride. That was me. Last thing I'm saying is that if you're a Calvinist, it means you're intellectually or theologically proud. Not a chance. I'm not saying that. That was my experience. And in 1982, the Holy Spirit began to convict me that I had left my first love. It wasn't so much what I believed, but my walk with God, my intimacy, the hours I used to spend with him alone in worship and prayer and adoration, they weren't there. I was reading the Bible in, in so many intellectual ways, as opposed to just hearing God speak to me through his word every day. And I, I was very active. I was a strong witness for the gospel in grad school. I was active in Jewish outreach. We, we were strongly pro-life in our church at that point. We took in the refugees and the poor to live in our home for years. I mean, we lived out the gospel in many ways, but I'd left my first love. And the Holy Spirit began to stir me in May of 82 that he was going to use me to preach a message in my home church, which was largely, predominantly non-charismatic, and that we were open to the Spirit, theoretically, but not, not walking in these realities, and that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the church. And that happened November 21st of 82. The pastor had, had stepped down just because of burnout and some other things. I was asked to preach, and he was very excited about what could be coming and the Holy Spirit moving. And God radically changed me. I, I mean, radically, dramatically changed me. And in the months to come, we saw great repentance among many, many filled with the Spirit. Ultimately, the church leadership differed. There was division as to whether this was the Spirit or not. Ultimately, things were quenched and shut down, as a result of which my wife and I left the church rather than undermine the pastor or differ. He's, he's the leader. He's the authority. He felt one way. Now, many years later, he came to me in tears and said, Mike, the next time God moves, I don't want to miss it. But he is the leader. It's not my job to challenge or overthrow the leader. So we left the church, and, and now we're kind of separated from friends, and it's, it's a difficult time. Started going to another church just so I could immediately be part of a body. And, and I'm in prayer, and I am groaning and travailing. You know, Paul in Galatians 4.19 talks about being in the pains of childbirth for the Galatians because they had, they had fallen away from the faith. And many times you read about the prophets weeping and grieving. So I'm in this intense, overwhelming time of prayer, and I hear the Spirit say to me, you'll be in a revival that will touch the world. <clears throat> My immediate reaction was, you've lost it. 
you're deceived. You've gone off the deep end. You're like William Branham or John Alexander Dowie, these men who were gifted and used by God and went off the deep end. That was my initial thought. The more I prayed, the more I spent intimate time with God and read his word, the more this reality became a promise. I went and talked to two leaders to share what I believe God had spoken to me. One was my pastor at the new church, and I knew that by nature he would agree with me because I'm in his church and he likes me. The other was an elder consulting with our old church, which had a very negative view of me at that point and who I thought would question me and challenge me. Instead, they both affirmed, Mike, if God has spoken this to you, you should believe it. In the years that followed, God sovereignly connected me with Leonard Ravenhill, author of Why Revival Tarries. It was an amazing connection. Praying with him was like praying with no one else ever knew. And we were close the last five years of, of his life. So from 89 to 94, he died at the age of, of 87 in November of 94. And his words are the things you're living for, worth Christ dying for, still challenge me. His words, no man is deeper than his prayer life, still challenge me. And that was further confirmation to me that God indeed would send revival and I get to be part of it. And then God connected me through Leonard Ravenhill, through my friend Steve Hill that I got to know through Leonard Ravenhill. God called me to serve as a leader in the Brownsville Revival, where more than 3 million people, cumulative total, from over 130 nations came to those services, where we have the names of different individuals, over 300,000 who responded to the altar calls. I would say the largest number of those were Christians under conviction of sin to draw closer to the Lord. The next proportion would be backsliders who were away from the Lord and came back. And the last would be new believers, people who got saved for the very first time. And, and we've tracked them because we know them. Many of them became students at our ministry school. Some of them are serving as missionaries around the world. They've been out serving the poor, preaching Jesus, planting churches, fighting human trafficking, caring for orphans around the world now for well over 20 years serving. To this day, as I travel, I meet people who just have to tell me what happened to them at the revival. I was speaking in Texas for some grads last year, and a woman came up to me, and she immediately broke down in tears. She said, I went to the revival when I was 17 years old. She and her friends from some church youth group just going to go and have fun, and they got deeply confronted by God, and she got radically transformed, radically born again, has been loving Jesus, now married, raising her kids in the fear of the Lord, in tears of something that happened to her over 20 years ago. I, I got to be in the midst of it. And, and friends that knew me from when I lived on Long Island, which is when God had spoken to me that, that word. Again, it's not the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. The Bible is God's word, period. Nothing touches that. Nothing adds to that or takes away from it all doctrine is based on what's written in the Word. We know who God is based on what's written in the Word. But the Holy Spirit continues to speak, as, as Scripture clearly says, Jesus, sheep, hear His voice. That's an ongoing thing. We have fellowship, communion with the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us. I've never heard an audible voice, but have heard the internal voice of God many a time. And some of you may have, and not even realized, 
what it was. And these, oh, afterwards, wow, that really was the Lord leading or showing me this. But I told my friends back then, I told them, I'm going to be in the midst of a revival that touches the world. I knew it. And they would come and visit Brownsville and, and see what God was doing and see lives changed and hear the baptismal testimonies of, of, of extraordinary transformation and salvation and deliverance to the glory of God. And they'd say, Mike, you told us about this. You told us this was going to happen. Well, as, as the revival went on, something began to rise in my heart very deeply that as surely as there is a civil rights movement in America, there is going to be a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution in America that retakes some of the ground that was taken in the 60s and beyond. I don't know how far it will go. I, I am not claiming this is a scriptural revelation. I'm saying this is something I believe God has promised me. Test it, and we shall see. But can I point something out? All the talk now in the church about LGBT issues, all the conscious pushback against some of the radicality in the society, this was not happening 10 years ago. This was not happening 20 years ago. The, the possibility of overturning Roe v. Wade, this was not happening 10, 20 years ago. The, the, the Casey case where the Supreme Court could have acted and didn't, that further settled things. What was that, back in the 80s? So... Things are happening in the midst of the darkness and chaos. Things are happening. And you know the other thing the Lord laid on my heart? The other thing the Lord laid on my heart increasingly in the late 90s? You're going to be on daily national talk radio as the voice of this revolution. And here we are in Jesus' name. This is How We Rise Up. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Everyone watching on YouTube or Facebook, shoot us a note and let us know how you enjoy the look of the new studio. I'm just blown away by what our guys did. I'm absolutely blown away. And everyone listening, let us know how you like the new introduction and getting to hear Skillet every day. Okay, <clears throat> 2004, God burdened me to get involved in dealing with LGBTQ activism. It just would have been known more as gay, gay and lesbian. The T word transgender was not as prominent then. God burdened me to, to get involved. And I thought, why me? I don't come out of homosexuality. I've never had gender identity confusion. I don't have a particular burden to reach those in the gay community like I do say in the Jewish community. Um, my PhD is in Near Eastern languages and literatures from New York University. I don't have any formal training in anything related to family counseling or sexuality issues or that. And I've always preached holiness, but my emphasis was to fellow heterosexuals about the dangers of sexual sin and porn and adultery and all that. I thought, why me? But then I, I sensed no one gets to sit this out. In other words, this is something that's going to affect everybody. And, and the more I looked at this, I began to see very quickly that gay activism was now the principal threat. This is 2004. I saw clearly that gay activism was the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America. 
And I knew I had to resist that agenda. That was part of my calling. How successful it would be, I don't know, but we're called to be witnesses, right? We will succeed if we're faithful. We may not see outward success in many things we do, but our success is being faithful witnesses. Yes? By life or by death. So, and I don't mean that gay activists are trying to kill me. Well, I just say by life or by death generically. That's how we follow Jesus. But I knew to have God's heart. It was not simply a matter of resisting an agenda. What about the people? What about the people God cared for? What about those for whom Jesus died? So I, I really sought the Lord to have his heart for those who identified as LGBTQ. I knew what the word said. I knew it was right in society. That was unambiguous to me. But I, I sat with local gay activists to hear their story. I read book after book by those who were pioneers in gay activism to see through their eyes that they were just fighting for equality and freedom. Like, hey, this is who I am. I have relationships. Why, why are mine illegitimate and yours illegitimate? I read the stories of, quote, gay pastors who said, hey, I, I fought this for years. I did not. It even had shock treatment. And it, it tried to get demons driven out of me until I realized one day, hey, this is how God made me. And now I'm serving the Lord and loving the Lord. I read these stories to the point that I was in tears. I've sat with people in tears as they shared their story with me. And, and what I heard the Spirit say to me in January of 2005, while, while praying and fasting uh, silent prayer in front of the Supreme Court for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I heard the Spirit say to me, reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion. Resist the agenda with courage. Well, since then, everything's gone the wrong direction, by and large, right? The Supreme Court redefines marriage radically with, with the Obergefell decision. I mean, that's how, how extreme is, is that, right? 2015. And just gay themes, gay activism everywhere. President Biden says transgender rights are the human rights issue of the day. On the one hand, things have gone on a societal level way, way wrong. I still care about the people. Jesus died for the people, but the agenda has really taken hold. So our efforts have seemed to be futile. At the same time, people are rising up. People are saying enough is enough. Even people who are not Christian believers are saying, hey, we didn't sign up for biological boys competing with biological girls or sharing bathrooms with them. We, we didn't sign up for that. Or seeing how extreme things have become. So in Canada, it's much worse. There's much more restriction there. A recent radical bill was passed in Canada with the help of conservative politicians who probably didn't understand what it was about, saying that anyone of any age who wants to get professional help for unwanted same-sex attraction or gender identity confusion, they are not allowed to. It is banned by law, and, and you will be fined if you try to help someone. So this applies to pastors who are counselors as well as to professional therapists. So a couple of weeks ago, on Sunday, thousands of pastors across Canada stood up and preached on Sunday morning the truth about biblical sexuality. And they got a big boost because Pastor John MacArthur encouraged them to stand, encouraged others to stand with him. So, so this, is, this is what's happened. Let me just take you to an article on the CBN website. Uh, YouTube labels John MacArthur's sermon hate speech after he said God made us male and female. So the same Sunday that these pastors in Canada were doing what they did, 
John MacArthur, in solidarity, preached it from his pulpit. And it's reported on CBN January 19th, so five days ago, when his sermon was posted on YouTube, it was branded hate speech. YouTube has censored a Bible-based sermon labeling it as hate speech because it isn't pro-LGBTQ+. So I, I tweeted this out earlier today, just right before the show, in solidarity with John MacArthur and the Word, not to mention reality, let's declare it together. God made us male and female, and a biological female can never become a biological male, nor can a biological male become a biological female. This is truth, not hate. So I'm encouraging everyone to share that, to retweet that. We just got started with that, but let's make this declaration publicly. At the same time, we say, look, if you identify as LGBTQ, we love you like we would love anyone else. You are welcome to hear the message of the gospel through us and to sit with us and talk with us. And we would love to help you see our perspective about who Jesus is, what sin is, what salvation is, and to bring you to biblical conclusions about sexuality and family. It's not hate that drives us. It's love that drives us. Now, I've made these statements on YouTube for years now. And and what happened was, We've got over 2,000 videos on YouTube, but some years back, we had maybe 1,700. I, I noticed something on YouTube, and, and I see oh, these videos have been demonetized. When, when we put a video up on YouTube, it's got you know, a few seconds ads that play. So that generates, every time that's watched, it generates funds for the ministry. Now, we're, we're talking fractions of pennies, okay? We're not one of those YouTube channels that's bringing in tens of thousands of dollars. If we did great, we'd use it for the gospel, right? So, you know, it'd be hundreds of dollars or thousand dollars in a month. So it's, it's minor, okay? But it all gets used for the gospel. So I, I get this note, these videos have been demonetized. And I look and it's go down further, it's go down further, it keeps scrolling. They demonetized all of them, like 1,700. So I got on Facebook, I was laughing out loud. I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. All of our videos got demonetized. Now, they weren't banned. They weren't removed. But they're saying even if 10 million people watch them, you don't get a, a penny of revenue through it. So I mean, I was laughing out loud over it, and I just praising God because he's bigger than all this. Well, then one by one, most of them got restored, but some didn't. But it became the custom virtually every day on almost every subject immediately our video gets flagged by YouTube as inappropriate for all advertisers, okay? And certainly some content, certain days, would be inappropriate for all, not all advertisers are gonna to wanna to be associated with that. Okay, fine. But then they get reviewed. Hey, if you're the reviewer and you got this far in the video, welcome, glad to have you reviewing it. They get reviewed, and, and I wanna say this, overwhelmingly, I'm talking about 90% plus, the videos get approved for monetization. All right? And, and we don't get censored. We don't get penalized. Now, I put out one video one day, about 30 seconds long, just saying, have a nice day. Have a great day. Hope you have a really good day. Well, that one did get flagged. But virtually everything else gets flagged. But when they get reviewed, even when I talk honestly about transgender subjects, even when I talk honestly about these other things, they get approved. Sometimes an abortion subject won't get approved the one we did last week about the synagogue shooting for some reason didn't get approved. I'm not sure why. Sometimes I think the content's being misunderstood. But I'm saying 
that although I have colleagues whose whole stations have been banned from YouTube, their whole channel banned, hundreds of videos they had up gone, it's happened to them. I can only say that YouTube has been very fair in dealing with us. But if making the statement that God made us male and female gets us censored or banned or demonetized, let me say what the Bible says. So YouTube, understand, if you censor this, you're censoring the Bible. Genesis 1, God created us in his image, male and female, he created us. The fact that you have someone intersex where there is ambiguity about their maleness or femaleness is part of the broken world we live in. It doesn't change the reality that there are only two categories, male and female. Nor does it change the reality that our sex is not what we perceive it to be, but what our DNA and biology declare it is. So I want to say this, a biological female can never become a biological male. A biological male can never become a biological female. There are only two sexes slash genders if we use it as synonymous with sex, male and female. But the good news is there is a pushback. The very things of which we have been speaking are happening. Let us rise up together, full of faith, full of love, full of courage. Let us be disciples and let us make disciples. That's how the world will be changed. Another program powered by the Truth Network.